Thank you, uh, Ginger, for this lovely arrangement up front. And this is in honor of your mama, and we do, we do thank you for, for this arrangement. And so, if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to the book of Mark? The Gospel according to Mark. Chapter 14. Mark 14. Beginning with verses 37 through 31. Now it is known in the human nature that we have our tender spots, if you will. Our areas of weakness we all struggle with. I mean, as children of God, through Christ, we still have honest struggles. That's the one beauty about the Scripture is that it confronts us with confronts us with our inability to reach holiness divorced from God. It is like Achilles who was dipped into the river Styx and he was held by his ankle and everywhere the water come on Achilles he was invincible. You can read about Achilles you can read in Homer's uh, Iliad you can read about him there. We all heard the phrase Achilles' heel, his weakness, his Achilles' heel. So everywhere the water would come above Achilles, he was uh, invulnerable, but that one point where he was held was his, his area of vulnerability. And Paris knew about this, shooting an arrow through his heel and killing, and killing him. It is even so with us as well. We have a vulnerability. And we might think that we are covered by some type of virtue until we are found totally invulnerable. We all have a heel somewhere. We all have a weakness. And the thing is, is the enemy knows exactly what that weakness is. He knows how to aim and shoot in that area of our weaknesses. Hence, the absolute necessity of taking to ourselves the whole armor of God. Putting on the whole armor of God is a defense and not an offense. Putting on the whole armor of God so that there may not be one solitary joint in the harness that shall be unprotected from the arrows from the fiery darts of the enemy. Satan is very crafty. He knows the ins and outs of our lives. He knows all the back roads to our heart. He knows all the areas that we struggle with. And if, I've always thought that the enemy, uh, Satan was like a trial and error type enemy. He tries to figure out our weaknesses and t- attacks us there, but only by trial and errors. He knows the back ways and the, and the highways to the heart where we don't even know about sometimes. And one of those back roads in the human heart is that of pride. One of those roads in the heart is pride. It was John Calvin and Augustine who put pride at the very core of sin. The very foundation of what sin is, according to them, has its foundation in pride itself and the prideful heart. Not only is the heart full of pride, but it is full of idolatry as well. 
Today's drama, part three, unfolds in the discourse we're going to look today, chapter 14, the Gospel of Mark, beginning with 27. Jesus tells His disciples that they are going to desert Him. They're going to flee away from Him. Now Peter, as we're going to look, is a very boisterous type of individual. A very outspoken man who voices his opinion sometimes, I think, without even thinking. He says that he will not abandon Jesus. In fact, that he's going to, he would rather die than to leave the side of his, his Lord. This discourse today will serve us as a reminder that even though we abandon Jesus, and on many occasions we do, on many occasions we abandon the Word of the Lord. Many times we abandon what we know we should be doing right, and we abandon that. We leave the side of Christ in effect. And even though that we leave Christ, He is ever there waiting to forgive us. We see this with Peter. We see this with the disciples who scatter. Now He is still able and ready to forgive us. In fact, He wants to forgive us of our sins. That is what a Savior entails. A Savior that entails the, the coming between the finality of sin and the damning effects of sin. He is a Savior in that regard. But think about this. Think about it like this. We are saved, we, we are eternally secure. But on our way to looking like Jesus, that walk can be hindered. It can hinder us being a foundational disciple for Jesus Christ. Things can come in our lives, idolatry and pride that rise up and can come between our walk with the Lord Jesus. Just like it did with Peter, just like it did with the disciples, and just like it is with us as well. That's why the Bible is brutally honest about the human nature. Before we thank ourselves, somebody, we read the Scriptures and find out that we are quite the opposite of what we really think we are. The human nature is exhibited in the Bible like, any, like, like no other place. The question remains, I think, why in the world did Jesus pick this ragtag team of disciples to follow Him when He knew that they were going to leave Him? He saw into the future that these men would die with the name of Jesus on their lips. Did Jesus see some virtue in, in them? Yes, He did. But it was only after the Spirit of God got a hold of them. More importantly, what happens on the other side of the empty tomb of Jesus, looking back onto our discourse today, in opposition to the disciples scattering, shows, that's very important, shows the changing power of God in our lives. Shows the transformative power of the Holy Spirit in one's life to totally change a person from point A to point B so that they don't even look the same anymore. They've left that old lifestyle behind them. They have totally changed. They are on fire for Christ and are forever changed. Before we get into the reading of the Word, let me pray for us and ask for the Lord's discernment. Lord, to give us discernment. Lord, to give us an understanding of the meaning of the text. Father, thank You for 
our time together this morning. We ask you as we gather not only around the scriptures but also around the communion table, God, we ask you that we would have a, a, a spirit of thanksgiving within us for the work that you are, have done, your completed work of Christ for us. We ask you, God, as we reflect on the elements of the Lord's Supper and on the Word of God itself, that you will do a mighty work among us today. Help us to understand without you we are totally hopeless. We thank you in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Number one, Jesus predicts the scattering. Jesus is going to predict the scattering. Verse 27 says this, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now again, looking back over verses in Mark's account of the divinity of Jesus and glimpses of the divinity of Jesus, it would do it, be an injustice to pass over those verses. And so we affirm when the foreknowledge of Jesus is exhibited. And this is one of those cases. You will fall away. Jesus having foreknowledge that these disciples are going to leave His side. He knew. He predicted not only that they would, that they would leave, that they would be scattered, but He also predicted that, he predicted that He would rise again. He knew, in fact, that He was going to go to the cross. He predicted His death and His resurrection more than one time. He says, you will fall away. And this is one of those glimpses we get divine foreknowledge. Predicts the disciples will abandon Him when the pressure is really on. Now what is amazing about this, this prediction that it comes to pass for one is that these disciples walk with Jesus. They talk with Jesus. Back when Jesus fed the 4,000, they literally saw the miracle as the language gives us this idea that He was giving the bread right out the hand of Jesus. And the miracle is literally coming out of the hand of Jesus. They witnessed the miraculous. They witnessed Jesus walking on the water. They witnessed Jesus standing up saying, Peace, be still to the storm. And it was still the Christ that was Lord over even the elements to where He could say, Be still. And the seas calmed and the winds calmed down as well. And it's amazing how they did not see a strong Lord in all of this. Even after all they witnessed about Jesus. Even after all they saw the person of Christ. Now the word used here is the word that we get for scandal or scandalous. Entrap or to stumble, entice. Apostasy can be implied. Although it is not the word that we use for apostasy. Meaning that this person is a heretic altogether. Meaning that hey they might trip, they might fall. But this leaves the room that they may come back to the Lord. And they do. Now that the power of God and the Holy Spirit come upon them, they did cling to Christ in boldness. This doesn't leave the fact that they stumbled away from God and never to come back. It leaves it open that they can again be forgiven. They can be forgiven. This gives us the inclination that they will stumble, but only for a short time. And when they see the resurrected Lord, they are forever changed. They will be forever changed. That is one of the a defenses of the empty tomb is the changed life of the disciples. That they were literally turned upside down. They saw a risen Lord. Jesus going to Zechariah 13 verse 7 which says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. 
So Jesus knew the hearts of these men before they even knew themselves. He knew the heart of Peter better than Peter knew it himself. And that should give us comfort this morning. That should give us comfort that the Lord knows our struggles. He knows our hardships. We do not serve an insympathetic or an unsympathetic Savior. He is a Savior that can identify with our hardships and our struggles, as the book of Hebrews so eloquently tells us about our Lord and our Savior. He is not a a distant Savior. He can identify with our struggles, and He is sympathetic to that. He knows the battle with sin in this life. He knows that we battle with addiction. He knows that we battle with idols that we set up in our lives. He knows the struggles that we have with the flesh. And He is long-suffering and caring and wants us to prosper in this life. He wants us to prosper and give glory to Him as we do so. So as we prosper, we give thanks to God. Coming up on Thanksgiving, we thank God for His goodness and allowing us to even be alive, allowing us to even be in the land of the living and tell of the goodness of God in our lives. Now Jesus chose this group of men so that He would get the glory looking down into human history, looking down into salvation, the salvation story, which we're at, chapter 3, in God's grand narrative of redemption, looking down and knowing that these men will turn the world upside down and take the gospel to the nations. He knew in chapter 3 of God's great grand story of redemption that these men were going to literally go and die for Him with the name of Jesus on their lips. You are a bunch of people, he would say, that are now going to be scattered, but now one day is going to cling to me. Now, I've been to many birthday parties over the years. And the best ones, I think, are those birthday parties that you go to and they have a pinata hanging from a tree. Something about the pinata, man. I don't know if it's the kid in me that just want to grab that little stick and bash it myself. I'm like, please ask me. You know, ask, ask me on here. I don't know if I just want to take a swing at it. And then you always have this one kid, this little short runt looking guy who comes up with this his hidden power somewhere. And wow! And you're like, whoa. And he just cracks it. And when he does, the candy goes everywhere and the kids are plucking up candy, sweet tarts and all, like, like hens trying to gather grain. And they're plucking it all up, scattered about on the ground. And I think this is kind of the imagery that we see here with the scattering this morning. Scattered all over the ground. You have a bunch of people looking to finish off Jesus. You have a bunch of people looking to strike the Savior down. The religious leaders, scribes, Pharisees. And they're looking to strike Him. And they gather around. And they take turns even. Scheming how they're going to bring Jesus to death and execute Him. Then He struck. And those disciples scatter. And not only do they look to pick off Jesus and strike Him, but they're looking as as they can pick off the disciples as well. Looking how they can grab a hold and pluck away to not only finish off Jesus, but pick off those that have fallen to the ground as well. Now this should be an encouragement though for you and me this morning for it anticipates our falling. 
it anticipates that we will sin. John tells us that if we sin, we have one that is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins, anticipating that we will fall, anticipating that we will sin. That is the beauty of it, is that we have a Christ that seeks to save and to liberate. Instead of wallowing in self-pity and defeat, cling to Christ that seeks to save and to liberate. For those that know Him this morning in the Lord, I would say, when you know Him, know that He is there when you fail, and you will fail, and I fail. He's there to forgive you. For those of us this morning who might not know Christ, today is the day of salvation for you as well, to cling to, to Jesus. Number two, the foreshadowing of the resurrection. There is a foreshadowing of the resurrection as Jesus predicted His death many times. This is one of those occasions. Verse 28, But after I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. And Jesus is giving them a glimpse and a word about the resurrection, about His rising from the dead. I don't know anybody else who really can proclaim this in history, predicted their death, predicted their own resurrection as we see in Jesus. And Jesus, knowing that the disciples would scatter, also knows that they will be forever changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He knows for knowledge that they will stand for Him. Which reminds me very much about Acts 1.8. He gives a promise. Go in the upper room away from me in the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit will fall upon those in that upper room. And we see it in Acts 1.8 that says this. But you will receive the power when the Spirit, Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we are also called to be those witnesses as well. We are part of those disciples. But it's as if they were anticipating the promise of Jesus to come to pass. They saw the resurrected Lord. They awaited in the upper room waiting for Jesus. Waiting for that promise that Jesus had made to them to come to pass. Now that, to me, speaks of a total change. From scattering to now anticipating and waiting for the promise of Jesus to come to pass. They saw the resurrected Lord and said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe what he's saying is absolutely true. We need, to, we need to go do what he says now. From now on, we want to cling to him all the more. Jesus is anticipating that this ragtag team of disciples and his followers are going to cling to him and die with the name of Jesus on their lips. History shows men and women that have died for the name of Christ when they were pressed under persecution with the name of Jesus on their lips. In fact, some of them even leapt for joy because they counted a joy to be killed and martyred for the name of Christ. There's a whole different picture that we see prior to the promise that will be fulfilled in Acts 1 and 8. Jesus is a shepherd that leads a bunch of sheep that have gone astray. And Jesus is the good shepherd that goes before us. One thing to notice is the transformed lives of the disciples. He forever changed their lives. But first, before we see the resurrected Lord in these scriptures here, the first time we see this, there's a group of people that are scattered before Jesus goes to the cross. And secondly, they encounter the risen Lord. And after the promise of the Holy Spirit, or the Comforter has come upon them, this reality was set in stone. This reality was set in stone. The proof that is seen in the Christian faith and the Christian witness, the proof in the, 
in what Christ says was, is, was true is not just in word alone, but it's in the transformative power of God to change a person's life. To change a person's life. And I have had conversations with people that said, you know what? We sat down and we talk about the uh, arguments for the existence of God. We sat down and we talk about uh, why uh, Jesus is the only way. We talk about all these different uh, philosophical and biblical topics. But what really compelled me that, the Christ, that Christianity was 100%, 100% true was that I looked at people's lives and I knew lived a certain way and that God got a hold of them and changed them forever. That's what compelled me to believe that Christianity was 100%, that Christ was 100% accurate is the changed life and the transformative power of the gospel itself. This isn't the regular run-of-the-mill sincerity. This is seeing a people go above and beyond the calling of duty. And when we are called out to minister to folks, we point back and say, I did this because Jesus commanded me to. Jesus compelled me to love on my neighbor as myself. And this is something the disciples do not understand on this side. But as they are scattered, they do not understand this as of, as of yet. So this verse here, this little verse that we looked at is impregnated with the meaning of the resurrection. It is robust with the divinity of Christ. It is full with the changing power of God by His Holy Spirit. It's one verse that we read that Jesus says, I will go before you into Galilee after my death. Now every year, around June, second week in June, we go to, uh, we go to Tennessee. Family reunion. We head out to Tennessee. I guess we call it a vacation too. And while we're up there, we, we, you know, we want to go look at certain things. You know, I want to go and uh, see something. A lot of times I really don't even care about going other places. But sometimes, you know, we want to go to Dollywood or something like that. And we might want to go to Pigeon Forge or Gatlinburg or something like that. And, and of course, being the bad navigator that I am, and you heard about that, I couldn't even find my way out of a paper bag. <laughs> Being a bad navigator that I am, we have to have family members uh, to, to lead us through the way. And you're going up through those back hills of, of Tennessee or on those mountains, those twists and turns. And our family member, especially Tracy's brother, knows the back ends. He, he, he knows how to go through those back roads and get around those, you know, around the curves and stuff. And you're looking down like, oh, Lord, I hope we don't slip. What's, one more inch and we're going off. Uh, <laughs> You know, I'm looking at the radio trying not to look to the side of the road over here. I'm like, I don't want to fall off. Scared to death, but they're driving. You know, they drove their whole life on it. And sometimes we'll follow them. And I'm like, you know, you're going to slow down. But as we're following them, we keep our eyes on Him. The one that is ahead of us because we don't want to fall off the way. We're keeping our eyes on Him because we don't... Anywhere we turn to the right or to the left, we have danger. We have a, we have a cliff over here. That if we fall off, we'll, kill, we'll, we'll die, most certainly. We have over here, we have a, a wall of mountain that if we run into, we'll surely crash. So we keep our eyes on the one that is in front of us, leading the way. Now, Jesus gave the disciples instructions, and in this case, a prophetic warning. I'm sure many of them said this. I will not abandon you, Lord. Imagine. Then they did. The end of this discourse today, they said that very thing. And they agreed with Peter. We're not going to leave you. But Peter was so boisterous in this. He said, I won't leave you. No, I'm going to stand by your side even if I die. I'll die with you. There's no way. No way I'm going to deny you. 
Which is exactly what Peter did. Jesus tells them just like the driver leading before the way that He would go before them and that He would lead them. It was Jesus Himself that made the disciples post-resurrection this team of people that would, that would uh, turn their back on Jesus when pressed with persecution. These would be the same ones that follow the King. So the question remains for us this morning, do you trust the Word of God? Do you trust the Word that you read in the Scripture to 100% accurately lead you to knowing and having faith and knowledge in Christ Jesus, which will be our justification before God? Do you trust the Word of God? Do you trust the words written therein that shows God Himself as the leader and the God that would go before us and blaze a trail for us to be disciples of Him? He blazed the trail and gone before us. He sent back His Holy Spirit to indwell amongst the church. Number three, there is an, ex an exhibition of pride here. Like Calvin and Augustine held in their worldview or that they believed that the core of sin was pride. At the very heart of every sin is pride. Let's see what Peter says. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, and I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, this night before the rooster crows, twice you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And here is the disciples, all, they all said the same thing. They all affirmed that no matter what, we will stand beside you. Imagine Jesus, Peter trying to correct or even rebuke Jesus. I don't care what these other guys do. I don't care what they do. I'll never leave you. I'll forever be by your side. Now, do we count that as arrogance or reliance in God? Do we count that on, on, as arrogance on Peter's behalf or a total reliance in, in God? But see, Jesus knew their weakness better than, than they did. He knew Peter's heart better than Peter ever knew his own heart. Which is reassuring for us. He knows our all, he knows our heart as well. Now you might say this morning to yourself some of the same things. I will never fall into sin. I'll never do that. I will never ever do that. I'll never go that way. I'll never fall like he did. But if it had not been for the for the grace of God, you would have definitely done the same thing. We would have been one of these people. One of these disciples who would have abandoned and would have scattered when Jesus was struck. We would have been the very ones in the crowd spitting on Jesus. We would have been in that crowd had not been for the grace of our Lord Jesus. If it had not been for God's grace, we would have done the same thing. It was almost as if they were trying to say, they, had just been, they have just been told that there was a traitor. It is almost like they would be saying, I'm not, I'm not like that traitor. Even though Judas might not have been known to him then that it was this, he, he's a traitor. It would have been like this. I am not like that traitor, Judas. I am not like him. We are not like him. We will not, we will not betray you. So Jesus quickly rebukes Peter. Before the cock crows twice. There's a first one. A first one, a first crowing. One at midnight and the other one for, to the of, break of day which tells you exactly how long that they were out there. And which was last, the one, the last uh, rooster crowing 
which tells us it was right at the break of day. And we read in the other gospel where Peter was gathered around. We reread another discourse where Peter is gathered around the, the, the fire and they look at him and say, you have that Galilean accent. You are with, with Christ. You are, in, you are in with Him. The one they brought in to crucify. The one they, they brought in to kill or to bring before the court, the high priest. And that is the thing that the Bible contains. In, it, it faces us with the honesty of our own human nature. And we, are, we come face to face with the human nature itself. And it would seem that the Scriptures would have been, if, if, the, if the Bible was some type of human concoction without divine inspiration, that it would seem that mankind would have written themselves in a better light. It seems as if we would have written ourselves in, in, in a better understanding and in a better light. But it's not that way. It's brutally honest, and it says that we are people that have pride at heart. If it not had been for Jesus, we would have done the same thing. So before we say, I will never fall into that sin, maybe you should reword it and say, by the grace of God, I would never fall in that sin. And it's not just semantics at this point, because you're pointing to God as your strength to bring you through and away from those roadblocks of sin in your life. Now I was sitting in the back room last week. I was sitting there thinking about, sometimes I'll just sit there and think about God's creation. You know, and, and Scripture, and I was thinking about God's created order and how God made the world. God created the heavens and the earth. And I was just sitting there and, and right in the back room, and I saw coming through, reflecting on the door, as the sun was shining and hitting these few little bit of leaves we have left on the tree. And was shining through, and it looked as if the wind was blowing very ferociously outside. And I thought to myself, I'm like, I said, well, the wind must be really, really blowing outside. And so I got up and I peeked out, and it was all calm and still. It was still outside. I'm like, well, that's kind of odd. So I glanced back down and I look again, and there it is the reflection. The leaves look like they're alive. I'm like, how? I mean, the, the, the wind wasn't blowing, it was. See, it was calm outside. So what in the world? It amazed me. It, it really did amaze me how the sun and the light will reveal the just smallest and intricate things in creation. How the sun will re reveal the most the smallest things in our in our lives as well. And what I thought was standing still outside was in fact some way moving in the created order. And the Son was revealing that fact to me. And that is the way the Lord works in our lives. The Son has a way of revealing those things in our lives. The Holy Spirit has a way of bringing those things out in our lives that need to be brought to the forefront. So we can say, Lord, I'll seek to be a disciple of Christ more. Forgive me for my idolatry. Forgive me for putting things before you, O oh Lord. He has a way, the Son has a way of bringing those things to surface in our lives. And pressing up against those, those things. We don't want to be stagnated and standing still. We want to be on fire and moving forward towards Christ. For Peter and much of us, the sin is pride. The sin at the very, at the very core of this was pride. Peter had a, self, a pride about him. 
And I think it wasn't even that he had reliance on God, but that he had a self-reliance, a reliance in himself that said, you know what, I have enough restraint where I will not deny you, O Lord. My prayer for us this morning would be, if you have those glimpses in your heart and in your life today, today would be that day where we would repent and say, Lord, help me with my pride and my arrogance. Help me to be a follower of Christ all the more. And our prayer this morning would be for those who know, who do not know Christ, that we would cling to Him all the more and know that Jesus is Lord of all. He predicted His death. He predicted His resurrection. And so we thank God this morning that He had done that for us. That He was beaten. And this is part of the drama as we're going up that hill, that mountain. That drama we're going out in this chapter of God's redemptive history in the, in the, in the uh, redemption of mankind. And Jesus became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so His body was beaten and broken and bloodied and hung on a cross. And so as we transition into our time now where we are going to uh, be in examination of ourselves uh, in light of the Lord's Supper and what the Lord has done for us, I would ask that we would bow in in prayer as we prepare our hearts and minds to transition into the elements of the Lord's Supper and reflect in our lives. Let's bow and pray. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank You for that drama that unfolds. We ask God if there's pride in our lives and in our hearts as it was with Peter and his disciples. We ask You, Father, that You would bring it to the surface of our lives so that we may repent and carry on and be a fervent disciple for you and for Christ. For those who may not know Jesus this morning, we ask you that today would be that day of salvation for them. Uh, the Holy Spirit does a, a, a more of a mighty work than I could ever do. And, and so we ask you today that you would begin to pluck at that heart, pull those heart strings today, and that you would call them into yourself. As we transition into a time of reflecting on the elements of the Lord's Supper, let us have contemplation of our lives and let you, we know whether or not we are in sin or not. And Father, if we, we need to clean that up today by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we want to cast all idols out, all pride, anything that would be a hindrance as we partake of uh, the Lord's Supper and the Lord's Table. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We can have our uh, guys come up for the elements of the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> Now we were in Mark 14 today, and the last time we were in Mark, the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper. This is the only uh, one of the two ordinances that the Lord left, the two commands that the Lord left for us, one baptism and the other being uh, the Lord's Supper, the partaking of the Lord's Supper in commemoration, he says, do in remembrance of me. And if you'd go just a few verses up, starting with verses 22, uh, you'll actually see the implementation of of this. He sends his disciples into the city, sends two of his disciples to secure an upper room. And he done so. They secured an upper room, come back to Jesus, and now they go into the city, they go up into the upper room, and began to recline and have fellowship one with another. And so at this point, uh, they begin to reflect on the elements of the Lord's Supper. So we're going to ask uh, this morning, uh, in, in reflection of the elements of the body broken and the blood that was uh, shed for our sake, for the new covenant, that our that Scott and Ben would both distribute the elements of the Lord's Supper at this time. Mm -hmm.